Welcome back to another episode of the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast. On today's episode, we cover the topic of diverticulitis found under the gastrointestinal section at MedBullets.com. Let's start off with the clinical snapshot. A 63-year-old female is brought to the emergency room for severe abdominal pain for the past one day. She reports that the pain is 9 out of 10, dull, with intermittent exacerbations concentrated at the left lower quadrant. She endorses a low-grade fever, nausea, and vomiting for the past couple of hours. Her past medical history includes hypertension, constipation, and diverticulosis. A physical examination demonstrates abdominal tenderness and some diffuse voluntary guarding. Now for a clinical definition. Diverticulitis is a gastrointestinal disease characterized by the inflammation of diverticula. It results from a microscopic or macroscopic perforation of a diverticulum due to diverticular inflammation and focal necrosis. Patients can present with repeated attacks. Complicated diverticulitis is defined as diverticulitis with one of the following associated complications, bowel obstruction, abscess, fistula, and perforation. With regard to demographics, Diverticulitis most commonly occurs at the sigmoid colon in North America, reflecting the distribution of diverticulosis. Right-sided or cecal diverticulitis is more common in Asian populations. Also know that approximately 4% of patients with diverticulosis develop acute diverticulitis. Risk factors include obesity, lack of exercise, smoking, positive family history, and non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, or NSAIDs. To reiterate, remember that obesity is a risk factor for diverticulitis. Now let's discuss pathogenesis. The primary process is thought to be due to erosion of the diverticular wall by increased intraluminal pressure or inspissated food particles. Erosions of the wall then lead to inflammation and focal necrosis, that may lead to micro or macroscopic perforation. The inflammation is frequently mild and often walled off by pericolic fat and mesentery. This may lead to the formation of a localized abscess or fistula, especially if adjacent organs are involved. Poor containment of the inflamed diverticulum or abscess can result in free perforation and peritonitis. Now let's discuss how a patient presents with diverticulitis. Symptoms include abdominal pain, most commonly at the left lower quadrant, nausea, vomiting, constipation, and diarrhea. To reiterate, a patient with diverticulitis commonly presents with abdominal pain at the left lower quadrant. On physical exam, you'll note a fever, hypotension, a tender mass, or peritoneal signs like guarding, rigidity, and rebound tenderness. In terms of diagnostic approach, know that diagnosis is based on clinical presentation and is confirmed via imaging studies. In terms of relevant imaging studies, computed tomography or CT with oral and IV contrast is the best diagnostic test. Positive findings include localized wall thickening, greater than 4 millimeters, pericolic fat stranding, and presence of colonic diverticula. The CT also allows for visualizations of complications such as abscess, obstruction, or perforation. An abdominal ultrasound is indicated in patients who cannot receive radiation, 
Positive findings include bowel wall thickening, hypoechoic peridiverticular inflammatory reaction, and the presence of diverticula. Abdominal and chest radiographs may be useful in detecting pneumoperitoneum and obstruction. Positive findings include air fluid levels with bowel dilation or free air. A colonoscopy is not to be performed during acute diverticulitis for risk of perforation. Again, a colonoscopy is not to be performed during acute diverticulitis due to the risk of perforation. It is, however, recommended four to six weeks after resolution for evaluation and to rule out malignancy. Again, a colonoscopy is recommended four to six weeks after resolution of diverticulitis for evaluation and ruling out of malignancy. Other helpful studies include a complete blood count, which may show us leukocytosis, a urinalysis, in which we may see sterile pyuria or colonic flora, especially if the patient has a colovesical fistula, and a pregnancy test is indicated in all women of childbearing age. When working up diverticulitis, our differential diagnoses include inflammatory bowel syndrome, or IBD, and the differentiating factors include that the patient will often present with more chronic clinical symptoms and they will have positive biopsy findings. Another important differential to keep in mind is colorectal cancer, which will be visualized on colonoscopy. One other differential to keep in mind is acute appendicitis, and know that this will appear differently on abdominal CT imaging. Management of diverticulitis depends on disease severity, certain characteristics, and the presence of complications, but the majority of patients with acute diverticulitis can be treated with medical management. Outpatient treatment is indicated for patients with uncomplicated diverticulitis and no signs of high fever, significant leukocytosis, peritoneal signs, sepsis, immunosuppression, advanced age, intolerance of oral intake, or significant comorbidities. Outpatient management includes oral antibiotics, usually for about 7 to 10 days. In terms of inpatient medical management, patients are treated with IV antibiotics with the transition to oral antibiotics once they improve. Keep in mind that we're covering gram-negatives and anaerobes. Inpatient management also includes IV fluids, parenteral pain medications, and NPO status if unable to tolerate oral intake. Surgery is indicated for patients with perforated diverticulitis, hemodynamic instability, or peritonitis. It can be offered electively to patients with recurrent or chronic symptoms, patients who are immunosuppressed, or the prior episode of complicated diverticulitis. On the topic of complications, I want you to keep in mind that patients who are diagnosed with diverticulitis are also at risk for abscess, bowel obstruction, diverticular fistula, perforation, peritonitis, and shock. An abscess should be suspected in patients with uncomplicated diverticulitis showing no improvement despite three days of antibiotic treatment. If the abscess is found to be less than 3 centimeters on imaging, then treat with IV antibiotics. If it's greater than 3 centimeters, consider CT-guided percutaneous drainage. Now that we've covered all the main topics of diverticulitis, let's try some practice questions. Question number one. A 55-year-old obese man presents to the emergency department with abdominal pain. His pain started two days ago and has been worsening steadily. His only current medication is allopurinol. His temperature is 101 degrees Fahrenheit or 38.3 degrees Celsius. 
Blood pressure is 157 over 98. Pulse is 120 per minute. Respirations are 17 per minute. And oxygen saturation is 98% on room air. Physical exam is notable for left lower quadrant abdominal tenderness and rectal exam is unremarkable. A CT scan is performed demonstrating inflamed outpouchings of the colonic mucosa with a 4 centimeter abscess. Which of the following is appropriate treatment of this patient? 1. Ciprofloxacin and gentamicin. 2. CT-guided percutaneous drainage. 3. Laparoscopy and drainage. 4. Piperacillin, tazobactam, and vancomycin or 5. Supportive therapy and observation until symptoms abate. The correct answer is 2. CT-guided percutaneous drainage. This patient is presenting with diverticulitis with an abscess which must be treated with IV antibiotics and CT-guided percutaneous drainage. Diverticulitis occurs when outpouchings of the colonic mucosa become inflamed and infected. This causes the presentation of fever and left lower quadrant abdominal tenderness. The best initial diagnostic test for diverticulitis is a CT scan of the abdomen. For cases of uncomplicated diverticulitis, the patient can be treated with ciprofloxacin and metronidazole. Diverticulitis with an abscess requires more invasive therapy, including percutaneous CT-guided drainage, followed by IV antibiotics. Once the patient's clinical picture has been stabilized, they can be transitioned to oral antibiotics, which include ciprofloxacin and metronidazole. Now let's discuss the incorrect answers. Answer 1. Ciprofloxacin and gentamicin is not the typical antibiotic regimen used for diverticulitis. Diverticulitis is typically treated with ciprofloxacin and metronidazole. An abscess greater than 3 centimeters requires drainage. Answer 3. Laparoscopy and drainage are not necessary to drain the abscess as a less invasive procedure, such as CT-guided percutaneous drainage, is sufficient. Answer 4. Piperacillin, tazobactam, and vancomycin is broad coverage which could be used for diverticulitis, but is insufficient as the abscess must first be drained. Piperacillin tazobactam would be sufficient antibiotic coverage and the addition of vancomycin is unnecessary for diverticulitis with an abscess. Answer 5. Supportive therapy until symptoms abate is the appropriate management of diverticulosis which presents with painless blood per rectum. Now for a bullet summary. Diverticulitis with an abscess must be treated with CT-guided percutaneous drainage and IV antibiotics. Let's try another question. A 26-year-old African-American woman presents to the clinic with burning upon urination. The patient describes increased frequency, urgency, and a painful sensation at the urethra when urinating for the past three days. She also reports increased vaginal discharge and abnormal odor during the same time. The patient denies fever, flank pain, or hematuria though the patient does report a dark brown color of the urine. Her past medical history is significant for Crohn's disease that is controlled with sulfasalazine. Vital signs are within normal limits. What is the definitive treatment for the described condition? 1. Bactrim 2. 
IM ceftriaxone and oral azithromycin. Three, increase in sulfasalazine dose. Four, IV ceftriaxone. Or five, surgery. The correct answer is five, surgery. The patient's dysuria, increased frequency, and urgency suggest a urinary tract infection. The dark brown urine, in addition to the history of Crohn's disease, suggests a UTI secondary to a colovesical fistula, which is definitively treated with operative management. Colovesical fistula is an abnormal connection between the colon and the bladder and is most commonly associated with diverticulitis, cancer, or Crohn's disease. The condition commonly presents with pneumaturia, fecaluria, suprapubic pain, and UTI symptoms, such as dysuria, urgency, and frequency. Diagnosis is confirmed via abdominal pelvic CT with oral or rectal contrast, along with a colonoscopy if positive, to rule out malignancy. Now for the incorrect answers. Answer 1. Bactrim is one of the first-line treatments for UTI, which would be initial management of a patient with colovesical fistula, but not the definitive treatment. Answer 2. IM ceftriaxone and oral azithromycin is the treatment for chlamydial or gonorrheal infection, which may be suspected from the patient's dysuria, discharge, and odor. However, it would not present with fecaluria. Answer 3. An increase in sulfasalazine dosage may or may not be indicated in the management of the patient's Crohn's disease. However, it would not definitively treat the colovesical fistula. Answer 4. IV ceftriaxone would be indicated if the patient was displaying signs of pyelonephritis, such as fever, chills, CVA tenderness, sepsis, etc. Now for a final bullet summary. The definitive treatment for a colovesical fistula which is often a complication of diverticulitis, malignancy, or Crohn's disease, is via surgical resection. With that, we wrap up today's discussion of diverticulitis. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session by MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. Keep in mind that you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing these topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or mobile app while reading through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the MedBullets podcast thus far, we'd appreciate your consideration in leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It'll help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast.